You are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. So I want to take you to a uh, story of a man by the name of Ahithophel. You say, Ahitha who? Ahitha fell. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. And I want to tell you a story, perhaps, that you've never heard in your life. But the story begins in verse 23 with these words. Now, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled his donkey, went to his house, and arose and went to his home, which was known as Gilo, that city, He put his household in order, and look at what he did, and hanged himself. And the Bible says that he was buried with his father's tomb. Who was Ahithophel? How did he reach this place of desperation that he committed suicide? This is one of six times that the Bible records for us suicide was a chosen deed done by individuals. And we know that uh, when we think of suicide, as Pentecostals, we like to make judgments and say that suicide is self-murder. And to a degree, if it's done in a selfish way to get back at family members and friends, suicide leaves many unanswered questions. I know personally as a pastor of the pain of suicide in my congregation, when I buried two people who committed suicide in Vegreville as well as in Devon. Both my pastorates gave me the encounter of journeying with families whose loved ones took their own lives. But I know this, that a merciful God, when a meltdown occurs in the hearts of a boy or a girl or a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa, and they suffer some chemical reaction in their brains that causes them to feel that there's no hope in life and they take their lives that our merciful God is the final judge. How many of you can say amen to that? When someone suffers like my precious young lady in my congregation from schizoaffective bipolar disorder and in a moment she doesn't take her meds for three days and goes on a meltdown and takes her life during that time. That's not easy to live with. But I've raised those kids in my congregation since their mom died, and both of those children are serving the Lord. I became a father to them. And the one married one of our missionaries who passed away just recently, a man who went to Bible school with me, their son, Aaron Krush, married the daughter of this mother who took her life in Devon Pentecostal Church. God is a way of redeeming even our tragedies. Because those kids and the grandma who raised them never knew the Lord, but they came to know the Lord through the tragedy of their daughter and mother's death. So God does have the last say even when suicide occurs. And in our text here today, Heathafil takes his life. How is it that he reached this place of desperation? How is it that he came to the place where he said, Life is not worth living. I'm going to hang myself and I'll just have my story remain as such. 
Well, I want you to go with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15. And I want you to read with me the verses from verse 1 through 9 in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1 through 12. The Bible records the story for us this way. King David had a son by the name of Absalom, who had a sister by the name of Tamar. You remember this story? Tamar's brother Amnon, one of Absalom's stepbrothers, raped his sister Tamar by pretending that he was sick. And he, he was in lust with her, not in love with her. And while pretending to be sick, he called her to his bedroom and he raped her. And when King David did nothing about the rape of his daughter Tamar, his blood, her blood brother Absalom took her and fled to be a refugee and in exile with their uncle. They lived there for several years, the Bible records, and actually in those years King David pined for them to return to Jerusalem. And King David invites them back to Jerusalem. And the Bible records in 2 Samuel chapter 15, you can read it when you get home, verse 1 through 12, that Absalom went to the city gate every day. And as he sat at the city gate and people came and brought their complaints and malaria, uh, uh, you know, their, 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 their feelings about some indiscrepancy in business or in farming to King David who was supposed to give judgment, Absalom sat at the city gate and he said to the people, come, tell me what you want the king to hear. And the Bible says that he won the hearts of the people of Israel. And as he's seated there and he is getting the hearts of the people to come with him, the Bible says that he calls for a man by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel is called upon by Absalom to join his conspiracy. And why would Ahithophel, who committed suicide a few chapters later, join Absalom's conspiracy when Ahithophel is King David's most trusted counselor? The Bible says at the end of chapter 16 that when Ahithophel gave advice, it was as if God himself was speaking to King David. It was as if the King James uses the word, an oracle from God was delivered from the throne of God to David's heart. That's how powerful the advice of Ahithophel was to King David. That every war he entered and every land that he purchased came through the advice and the counsel of Ahithophel. So why would Ahithophel join the conspiracy of Absalom? Well, as the Bible goes on and begins to tell us the story of Ahithophel in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13 now through 19, the Bible says that when Ahithophel joined Absalom's conspiracy, David heard about this. And as he heard about it, he prayed as he said, I need to leave the city because I know Absalom and Ahithophel will join forces and they will come against me. And so as he's leaving Jerusalem, he prays in verse 31 of 2 Samuel chapter 15, these words, Lord, I pray that you would turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And so as David is leaving the city, heading for the mountains to hide in the caves from his son Absalom, there is another counselor that comes and joins him on the journey, and he says to King David, 
David, I want to go with you and I want to be with you. And David says to him, no, 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 no. I tell you what, you go back to Jerusalem and you serve my son as a counselor just as you served me. His name was Hushia the Archite. As you read chapter 16, you discover that Hushia went back to uh, Jerusalem and Absalom walks into the city with Ahithophel and with his troops. And when he comes to the side of Absalom, Hushia says to him, My lord, my king, he bows before him and he says, As I have served your father, so I will serve you. And Absalom says to him, But aren't you my father's counselor? Why come and join uh, with me? He says, Because I believe in your cause. And he lied to him. And as the story goes on, the Bible says that in chapter 16, Absalom asks Ahithophel, how can I get back at my dad? Because he did absolutely nothing about the rape of my sister Tamar. He shamed our family. King David's family was quite dysfunctional. How many of you would agree with me on that? And he says to him, Ahithophel says to him, I tell you what, We'll pitch a tent on your father's roof of the palace. He left concubines behind. My advice to you is the way to get back at your dad is to sleep with your dad's ten concubines on the roof of the palace and have sex with them and shame him. That's the advice of Ahithophel. Now, is this a godly counselor? Is this the advice that God would speak through Ahithophel to Absalom? I don't think so. Because that advice was rooted in a root of bitterness towards King David himself. And when Absalom's bitterness began to develop the conspiracy towards his father, Ahithophel saw an opportunity to join with David's son and say, Now I know the scriptures have said, Touch not the anointed of God, but when his son touches him, I can join that conspiracy. He was a clever counselor. And he knew what the Bible said. And so the Bible says that after Absalom slept with his dad's ten concubines on the roof of the palace, he comes back to Ahithophel and says, look, that didn't satisfy this feeling inside of me of my anger and my bitterness towards my dad. What should I do now? And the Bible records for us that Ahithophel says to him, give me 12,000 men. And I will go after your father, and I will kill your father, but bring his troops back to Jerusalem to serve you as king. Give me 12,000 men. I'll go after him. Well, you remember Hushai the archite who was sent by David to thwart the counsel of Ahithophel. And David had prayed, Oh Lord, turn the foolishness of Ahith the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Was that not right? So Hushai's ass, and he says in verse 7 of 2 Samuel chapter 17, the advice of Ahithophel is not good at this time. And Absalom turns to Ahithophel and says, well, sounds like uh, your advice to me is not good at this time, so uh, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. The Bible records that... Um, Earlier, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, King David was supposed to be leading his troops out in the spring to war. You remember the story? And the Bible says that 
Ahithophel and King David had a relationship that maybe you never connected before. But the Bible says that eventually Ahithophel's advice and counsel was listened to by Absalom, and Absalom goes after his father in war. You read chapter 19 through 22, you discover that uh, there is clear declaration of the intent of, uh, of Absalom to kill his dad. And as he's going out with his troops, the Bible records for us in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23 the names of all of the mighty warriors of King David. And as he names these individuals on the next slide, you will see that when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not taken, he went to Gilo, put his house in order, and hung himself. And his bones were buried with his father's tomb. And after his suicide, Absalom goes after his dad. And the Bible records in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8, the names of the mighty men of King David. There were 37 of them. Now I want you to drop down in your Bible and read verse 34. In verse 34, we see that there is a name of a mighty man. And I want someone to stand and read it for me right now, please. If you have it in your Bibles there, 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 34. Can someone please read it for me? Do you have it there? I see you just raging away there. <laughs> Someone read verse 34 to me. What is the name of the mighty man of Ahithophel mentioned in verse 34? And who is he? Right? <laughs> and then go to the next part of the verse. Ah, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel from Gilo. One of King David's mighty men is Eliam, the son of Ahithophel. And those 37 mighty men began to have relationships with each other's families, and there was intermarriage that was happening between the mighty men and daughters. And Eliam, the Gilanite, married, or had a daughter, sorry, and that daughter married the man in verse 39. And it names that man Uriah the Hittite. Right? Uriah married Eliam's daughter who back in chapter 15 when King David is on the roof of the palace looking down and he sees a beautiful woman bathing, he sends his servant to find out who that woman is. And he discovers that that woman's name is Bathsheba. Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam, the Hittite, and Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. And Ahithophel is King David's most trusted counselor. And King David's most trusted counselor has to watch King David destroy his granddaughter's husband 
Uriah the Hittite, to take Bathsheba as his eighth wife, and Grandpa Ahithophel as his counselor has to stand back and watch King David destroy his granddaughter's husband. That's why Ahithophel joined the conspiracy of Absalom when he said, I want to get back at King David for destroying my granddaughter's husband. So, in the Bible here we have two men who have a root of bitterness in their hearts toward King David. A son and a counselor. And eventually the Bible says, just go back to that last uh, slide, the Bible says eventually that the mighty men came against Absalom and his troops. And as they are going out to fight King David's army, the Bible says that David says to his mighty men, especially to Joel, if you find my son Absalom on the fields, please deal gently with him. Don't kill him. Bring him to me. You read chapter 21 and 22, you'll discover it there. And the Bible says that one of the servants came to Joel, the leader of King David's 37 mighty men, and says to him, Hey, we saw Absalom stuck in a tree. And he was hanging there with his hair. And he says to him, Did you kill him? But did not David ask Joel to deal lightly with his son? And Joel says, take me to where he is. And in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 17, they come upon Absalom hanging in a tree because he had long hair and he was hanging there. And then the next slide, the Bible says that Joel took three swords and <clears throat> stabbed him into the belly and <clears throat> stabbed him in the heart, I'm sure, and <clears throat> stabbed him in the lungs. Why would Joel disregard the counsel of David to deal lightly with his son? Well, that's another sermon for another time. But you see the dysfunction around David and his troops. And the Bible says to us in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3, on the next slide, so David sent and inquired about that woman and said, Is this not Bathsheba? I said that already, the daughter of Eli and the son of Ahithophel, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now go to the next slide. I bring it now to Cole Lake, Alberta, and to your life and my life. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness grows up in your heart and mind to cause two things much trouble, and defile many. These two men's bitterness eventually led to 20,000 men killed between the war of Absalom and David's 37 mighty men. Those 37 mighty men slained 20,000 people. Now, how many people did Ahithophel ask originally for? 12,000, right? How many perished in the war between Absalom and his troops and King David's 37 mighty men? 20,000. Two men's bitterness led to 20,000 people dying because of that root of bitterness in their hearts towards King David. Would you agree that that's a logical assumption? 
Now I say to you that because of those 20,000 men that perish, 200,000 people were defiled. How do I get that number? Well, you have a son who died in the war, that's 20,000 mamas that are defiled, right? They must have been daddies, so there were 20,000 daddies that were defiled. You agree? Would there have been 20,000 grandmas that were defiled? 20,000 grandpas that were defiled? How about 20,000 uncles? How about 20,000 aunts? How about 20,000 sons, possibly? How about 20,000 daughters, possibly? How about 20,000 uncles and 20,000 aunts? That's just in the immediate core of the 20,000 men that perished that day where because of two men's bitterness, many were defiled. 200,000 people were defiled. I was born and raised in Cape Town, South Africa. On the next slide, this is a picture of my mom on the left-hand side with her mother and my eldest brother, Albert. My mom was born in Cape Town, South Africa to Filipino parents. Her last name was Dela Cruz, Mavis Dela Cruz. My grandma was Chona Dela Cruz. And uh, so my mom now marries my dad in 1947 on April 17th. There's their wedding picture. Here's my mom and dad, go back to that slide, on the bottom left-hand corner. Here's my mom and dad, now married 63 years, and my dad's 93 years old, and my mom is 83 years old. Come on. From their marriage, on the next slide, they gave birth to six children, and these are the six of us, and there I am at 14 years old on the far right-hand side. My brother Albert on the far left, my brother Peter, my sister Eunice, my sister Frances getting married, my mom, my baby brother Graham, and my father Richard William Clarence. From those six children, five of us entered into pastoral ministry. And I tell you why. Because the thing that I heard my dad say every day after family altar was this. The only vocation worth living for is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my oldest brother was a boat builder. My youngest brother was an accountant. My sister Eunice is a social worker. My sister Frances is a music therapist. And my baby brother Graham is a civil engineer. And I'm a pastor and now a professional counselor. But five of the six entered into ministry, and my baby brother Graham rebelled against the call of God through my father, to be a pastor. He said, I want to be a civil engineer. He played with toys until he was in grade 12. He had Tonka cars that he'd play with right up until grade 12. And I think that's why he became a civil engineer, because he's built many, many highways and buildings in South Africa. On the next slide. From this, uh, I got married to Ruth at the back, and this is at the ledge grounds, and that's my mom and my dad at the ledge grounds with our son James on the left and our daughter Jenna on the right and Ruth, my mother and father-in-law, right there. And from our family, two children are born. On the next slide. As the grace of God came along, each of us got spouses and this is four of us in South Africa with our spouses. And we were visiting mom on their 60th wedding anniversary and dad in Cape Town, South Africa. On the next slide. As a result of that, my two children came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, were baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
at uh, Alberta Beach Camp and at Sylvan Lake Pentecostal Camp. They both received the call into ministry. I didn't ask them to be pastors. But as a result of that, Jenna got married uh, just here on June the 29th. On the next slide, there's a picture of Jenna and her husband, Ryan. And Ryan grew up in Bethesda Pentecostal Church in Edmonton. And Ryan is called to be a pioneer pastor in Edmonton, Alberta. Our son, James, on the next slide, he's going to marry Karina, the love of his life, from Portland, Oregon, on Thanksgiving weekend, October the 12th. So I've got very small pockets right now because I've had to pay for two weddings. But what's interesting is that regardless of my dad's admonition that the only work worth doing is for the kingdom, there was a little root of bitterness that grew up in my heart towards my dad's demand. And so of the five children, we established seven churches across Canada. I planted Devon Community Church, and out of our church, we sent Ray Crocker to plant Stony Plain Lighthouse Church. And then from that, we planted churches in Collin Lake and in Sandy Lake, and now just recently, I've been involved in planting a church in West Edmonton uh, Mall for Aboriginal churches. And what's interesting is that throughout my upbringing years, I resented the fact that my life was surrounded in church. Monday night was Bible study. Tuesday night was choir practice, Wednesday night was prayer meeting, Thursday night was cottage meeting, Friday night was young people, Saturday afternoon was open air service, Sunday morning at 8 o'clock was church, Sunday afternoon at 1 was Sunday school, and 6 o'clock was Sunday evening service. And then we had the after service where we prayed through what the message that we heard. And I hated being in church all that time. I wanted to play rugby and cricket. I wanted to be a star and be a professional rugby player and become a chef on a ship. That was my cry. But there in growing up in that home, I had a root of bitterness towards my dad because he loved the church children more than he loved his six children. My dad had more time for the church children and their families than for us. I don't remember my dad coming to any of my rugby games or my cricket games in high school or junior high. Never heard my dad say, I love you once in my life. When I confronted him in my fourth year at Northwest Bible College, now called Vanguard College, and I asked him, Daddy, why have you never said once to me, I love you, I'm proud of you? And when he came to my graduation in Edmonton, Alberta in 1987, I sat him down and I said to him, Dad, I have a father wound inside of my spirit toward you for forcing church on my life and not living a balanced life and where I never heard the words of affirmation from you. And I said to him, the greatest thing that I would love to engage in with you for the second half of my life and your life would be to hear you say the words once, I love you, son. I'm proud of you. My dad was 64 when I had that conversation with him. And from 64 till 93, my father has never stopped saying to me, I love you. I'm proud of you. 
He writes it. He signs off on Skype every time we talk on Skype. He says, son, I'm proud of you. I love you. God is using you. Keep on doing it. Keep on planting churches. You and Ruth are doing a marvelous work for the kingdom of God. And I tell you what, that healed my father wound when he said 10 powerful words to me when I was 24 years old in Kingsfall Renewal Center in Cochrane, Alberta, sitting alongside the Ghost River, fishing for brownies. He said these words, I am sorry. I was wrong. Forgive me. I love you. Those 10 words will heal every relationship if they are said genuinely in a marriage, between government and people, between employer and employers. That we can admit that we are not perfect, but we are sorry, we are wrong. Please forgive us. I love you. And when my father said that words for the first time in my life at 24 years old, there was a burden lifted and in my belly that root of bitterness was released by God's grace. And because of that journey with my father, I found myself marrying Ruth with no baggage in my past history because I said to myself, in Bible school, before I ever enter ministry and marriage, if I don't deal with my root of bitterness, I will have much trouble in my life as a pastor, and I will definitely defile many people. The Spirit of the Lord spoke very clearly to me that if I built a ministry of reconciliation out of my life and live a life of forgiveness, that there would be many hearts healed because of walking in that posture of humility. And if there's one line I want to leave with you today, it is this. Vulnerability breeds authenticity. When you are vulnerable with the one you love, with the one you work with, with the one you live beside, whose dogs drive you crazy because their poop is there for 17 days, and that wind blows that smell up into your master's suite, and you in the summer have to smell that stuff. When the dog barks at 5 in the morning, when you're still in your alpha sleep, you can still look at your next door neighbors as I'm describing mine right now and say, I love you guys. <laughs> and because of my love for them and even their annoying dogs, their two children started going to Devon Community Church's youth group because I told them about it. The most amazing thing happened to me last September when I went home my father looked me in the eyes and he said, I want to present something to you. In the Old Testament, there was the story of Elijah and Elisha. And in that story, it was the story of how he begged for a double portion and a blessing on his life as his mentor and the one who showed him how to be a prophet of God was taken up. And my father asked me to kneel in front of him in our lounge, our living room, and he uh, said, I want to do a presentation to you and over you because I really believe God prophetically showed me that my mantle will rest upon you and your son. And he said, you have an apostolic calling to plant churches, 
and you have an apostolic calling to be a father to those new planters. And he said, your son is going to plant churches, and you need to pass this mantle down to him. This is the mantle that my father gave me as Hargis. Yeah, and when I read those words, uh, uh, Richard Clarence, an ap apostolic father, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, my whole heart desire is to, to be in love with Jesus every day. That when I sit on my favorite pink chair in my man cave and I talk to Jesus every day, the lazy boy is 27 years old and I, 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 I have marks all over the hands, but I just throw towel and towel after over it. And what's neat is that when Jesus talks to me every day and he tells me how he wants to use me that day, I pray and then I obey. I close with this story from the next slide. You remember the Israelites were traveling and they were thirsty and they came across this body of water that was known as Mara and the waters were bitter, weren't they? And the Bible instructs his leader, his patriarch, to get a tree and throw it into the bitter waters. And when he did that, the Bible says that those bitter waters turned sweet. Did it not? And they were able to drink of that waters. 2,000 years ago, another tree was thrust into a hill called Mount Calvary. And on that tree hung your Savior and mine, Jesus Christ, who says to you and I today that your bitter experiences in mine can be turned sweet through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord. And he hung on that cross in the next slide and he said, I love you this much because I died on a tree so that you would be set free and you would not need to carry any root of bitterness in your heart and in your life. I close with this story. I came to Vanguard Bible College in 1982. I was worshiping at Maxwell Brecken's church on 156th Street. And in that church was a minister who was a close family friend of ours who, who served my dad's congregation for, for many, many years as an evangelist and uh, was an amazing gifted man. Divine healing followed every time he preached the Word of God. And when I came to Canada, he said, you can come and live with me. And I said, okay, I'll come live with you. And uh, when I got to his apartment and unpacked my bags, I asked him, well, where's my bed? And he said, well, I don't have a bed for you yet, but you can sleep beside me here on this queen bed. Wow. Wow. I said, well, I'd, I'd like to sleep on the couch. He said, no, come sleep beside me. And uh, to make a long story short, I knew why. Because three nights into that first week of my first year of Bible college, I was awakened in the night, and I thought I was dreaming. So the second night, it happened again. The fourth night, the second time, I was awakened again, and I said, did that just happen? And I said, no, maybe I was dreaming. And so on the fifth night, the third time, 
it happened again, and I jumped up out of, out of bed, I turned the lights on, and I looked at him, and I rebuked him in the name of Jesus, and I said, you have a problem. Because what I experienced in the last three nights was not a dream. And I said to him, I'm going to Maxwell Brecken tomorrow. And I'll be talking to him about what I just encountered with you in this bed the last three nights. I came home from Bible college that day, and when I got to the apartment, the apartment was totally empty. And this individual escaped Canada and went to live in Sweden for 26 years. Three years ago, he returned to Canada with prostate cancer. I heard about it through Ken Solbrecken. Ken knew about the situation, and Ken set it up for me to have a face-to-face -face with this man. For 26 years, I lived with the experience of a man of God inappropriately touching me in the night hour. And I was concerned for his life, and he had married a Swedish woman, and when he came home, the first week he was home in Edmonton, Alberta, I took him to a restaurant. I gave him a beautiful meal, and then I talked to him and I said, Sir, 26 years has gone by. I need to lay down this experience because it had created great concern and a root of bitterness in my heart toward you. Because you never gave me a chance for closure. That man wept and wept and wept, and he said, you're the first man of God who confronted me about my sin. And as a result of that, he went all the way to going to Maxwell Brecken and repenting. We discovered more victims from that church in Edmonton. And even in South Africa, he had touched other young men as well. He wrote me a letter of apology and repentance. He went to South Africa and he stood in front of the church and apologized to those now adult men who he defiled in their teens. He came to Canada and he stood in front of my congregation and he repented to my wife and my kids. And it healed my heart with a history of 26 years of being inappropriately touched by a man of God. And so I share that story in closing with you today because I know the impact of a root of bitterness in my heart and how the Lord helped me to release that in His time. Sometimes we try to force reconciliations and they don't turn out that good. But the Bible says in the fullness of time, Christ came and died for our sins. Can you say amen to that? So from the life of Ahithophel and Absalom and from my life today, I share very openly with you experiences because I know in the body of Christ, as Neil Campbell has come and done the Power of the Blessing seminars here, he was just here a couple of weeks ago, I believe, and he preached for you. And Neil and I and Annette have an office together in Edmonton, at least in Calgary, and I have an office in Fort McMurray in Edmonton where I counsel regularly people. And I pray them through and see them delivered from these painful family of origin issues or life issues. 
Today is you bow your heads and you close your eyes. I know I've gone long, but I believe the Holy Spirit wanted me to say all that he laid on my heart today because there may be someone here today who have lived with a family of origin, life experience, and you've never put closure to your relationship with your mom or your dad. Maybe you've been molested like I was at 22 years old by a family friend, a close person, an uncle, an aunt, a grandma, a grandpa, a neighbor. Maybe you've gone through the tragedy of being defiled by a coach who never chose you for years when you were one of the best ball players or the best volleyball player. Maybe you were defiled by a professor or teacher who said things about you in front of a class and it embarrassed you and you still have that root of bitterness against him or her. Maybe it's an employer that fired you unnecessarily and you've never forgiven that person for firing you and you carry a root of bitterness on your heart that often reflects with a chip on the shoulder. I don't know what you've been through in life, but the Holy Spirit knows. And the Holy Spirit is working on your heart as he has on mine through the years, and he said to me, Simon, before you come to my communion table, examine your heart. Before you partake of these emblems, Make sure you have nothing in your heart against anyone. Even when I brought my offerings to the table, though in my heart I had forgiven Dudley many, many years ago, I know that today I stand here free after 26 years of not being able to put closure to that, not knowing where he was. But by God's grace today, the Holy Spirit is here and the Father's heart and the Father's love is here in this room right now. And he's not here to rub your pain and your sin in. He's here to rub it out. My Father is the grand eraser. He erases your violators and your uh, ones that hurt you and I. He erases that pain the moment we choose to say, Lord, I release that to you today. So without prolonging this, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and, and you respond to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God from the life of Ahithophel today and Absalom. And as I've shared my very life with you today, who is here today that would say, Simon, will you remember me in prayer as you close that I would begin this day to launch into my healing and my freedom from this little root of bitterness Whereby if I don't guard my heart, much trouble will come to me and many will be defiled by me. If that's you, will you be brave enough to just raise your right hand and say, Simon, that's me. Yeah, all over this place. Thank you for your honesty. Your vulnerability brings authenticity. You may put your hands down. And here's what I want to say to you by the Spirit of God, that the beginning of your healing just began with that revealed hand. I said it's the beginning of your healing. God, who begins a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. Can you say amen to that? And for the dozen plus hands that went up, and for you who never raised your hands, but the Holy Spirit is still massaging this word and bringing it alive to you today and in the days ahead, I pray that you'd respond 
to the word and say, Lord, from the life of a man I never heard about in the Bible, Ahithophel, I know now as the grandfather of Bathsheba why he chose to join the conspiracy of Absalom, King David's most trusted counselor. Lord, today, thank you for your Holy Spirit that has worked in our hearts as we've listened to your word. Thank you for the application from Hebrews 12, 15, that we can truly say, Lord, that we would not want to miss the grace of God in our lives. And Lord, that today, these 12 that lifted their hands or so, maybe more, Lord, I thank you that their beginning of the healing came as a result of the revealing of their hearts by an upraised hand. In your holy presence, they have said, Father God, may that same healing that came to Simon and to millions of others come to me today. May I release that root of bitterness in my heart, whether it's against a parent, whether it's against a coach or a professor, whether it's against a boss who fired me, whatever happened, Lord, in their lives, whether they have been taken advantage of as a child or in any way, some or form they have been, Lord, uh, never heard the words, I love you, I'm proud of you, and an affirmation from parents, Lord, where that was lacking. I pray that you would come. And the healing balm of Gilead would penetrate the hearts of every one in this room today. Not only those who lifted their hands, but as Isaiah 10, 12 says, that we must sow for ourselves righteousness. We must reap the fruit of unfailing love. We must plow up that hardened soil of our hearts, and as a result, the rains of God will come and rain down upon the soil of our hearts, and it will bring forth life from the seed of the Word of God, which has been sown into our hearts today. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus, that we would walk out of this place full of victory, full of hope, full of determination that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can ever ask or think or dream about. And I just thank you for Coal Lake Community Church. And I pray that your blessing would be upon Pastor Lance and upon Pastor Haywood as, as Pastor Lance has enjoyed this time of rest and recharging his batteries and refocusing his vision. May the team here and the congregation just continue to swell with joy and pride for the renewing of their leaders and that they would just say, Lord, God, be glorified in this assembly in the days to come. We thank you for the good reports. We thank you for what we've seen here today as well. And we ask that your blessing would flow upon every life and that they would give you glory all the days of their life for your mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be your portion this day. The Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord prosper the work of your hands. That out of your hands may flow the work of God because it comes forth from your heart that is solely devoted to Jesus Christ. May you be the mother and the father who would bless and affirm your children and your grandchildren. May you be the father and the mother that would stand with your children in sickness and in hell and in all of the days of their life. And may they be blessed to be a blessing as Abraham was in the days ahead. We pray these things in the mighty and strong, matchless name of the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. 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 Thank you for the joy of sharing this message about Ahithophel, the uh, wonderful trusted counselor of 
uh, David who didn't end his life well. May we learn that lesson from him today. The Lord bless you. Enjoy this beautiful last summer holiday weekend and happy Labor Day to you and your family. God bless. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Holy Community Church, a place where families come together.